Well, if you take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. And this is going to be just this, the second and final message in this chapter. Can you believe it? Uh, we made through it. We made through our way through this chapter in two weeks only. That's pretty amazing. Don't expect the same for chapter 14. Uh, but uh, Mark chapter 13, and uh, if, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word once you get there. Mark chapter 13, we're going to read verses uh, 24 through verse number 27 to start with, and uh, we'll cover the rest of them as we go through the message. Uh, but uh, the Bible says in Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 27, here's what it says. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Lord, it's been good to be in your house already. Lord, it's been great to fellowship with these, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, it's been great to sing these praises. And it's been great to spend time worshiping you for who you are and for what you've done. And Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have ears to hear and a heart to receive and a willingness to obey and a willingness to apply these truths. I pray, Lord, that you would meet needs as only you can and, and that, Lord, um, you would be honored and glorified in our response to the word of God as it goes forth today. I pray, Lord, you'd give me clarity, help the message to be abundantly clear today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The title of the message this morning is Focusing on the Future, Part 2. Uh, so it didn't take me very long to figure out what to call this message after doing it last week, Focusing on the Future, Part 1. So thank you for coming back to the future. Uh, that was a joke. Uh, presented by somebody uh, who last night, yet yeah, last time said, you missed it. You missed saying you should come back for the future. Anyway, um, I'm glad you came back for the future. Well, um, we are going to focus on the future. And, and again, basically here the Lord Jesus is making his way to the cross. And, and in just a, a couple days, he's going to uh, sacrifice himself on the cross of Calvary. Before he does, he takes some time to visit with his disciples and look beyond the cross to a time uh, that would come in the not-too-distant future in their mind, but then also to uh, the future which is still yet to come even for us. And last time we uh, saw three special promises. First, there was a promise, uh, promised destruction, pointing to a time when the temple and the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. 
And if you recall, we talked about the, the, the grandeur and the majesty of those buildings that were there and the, the, the huge stones that were uh, used to build those, those buildings, particularly the temple, and, and how uh, remarkable of a thought it was that it would be destroyed like this is so secure and so strong. There's no way it could come down. Well, it did in A.D. 70 when Titus uh, came and, and ordered the destruction of, of an overthrow of Jerusalem, and, and all of those buildings did come down. And we learned in that moment that, hey, when, when Jesus says something's going to happen, it's going to happen, and, and we can trust it. And then we also saw the promised deception when false Christs and false prophets would come and, and, and deceive many and, and gave some instruction to his disciples regarding how to deal with that. And, and even today, uh, we need to be careful that we don't get deceived uh, by some of the things going on around us as well. And then we also saw the, uh, the coming desolation, the promised desolation, uh, which was a reference to the great tribulation period that will take place immediately after the rapture of the church. And that's described in verses 14 down through verse number 23, and particularly in verse number 19, where it says, For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of, cre of the creation, which God created at this time, neither shall be. It will be a time of great affliction. And we went through the book of Revelation and, and read in detail some of the things that this world is going to have to experience. Well, that didn't end there uh, because verse 24 continues on right after the tribulation period, what would happen next. And, and I want to uh, kind of pick it up right here where we left off last week with uh, number one here, the powerful return of the Savior. And verse 24 says, In those days after that tribulation... The sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. The stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And so here, after the tribulation period is over, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back to this earth, and this is going to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to take a moment to clarify the two returns of Jesus Christ. We already know that he came the first time in Bethlehem's manger, right? Uh, there's sometimes a misunderstanding of the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. So I want to take a moment to explain the difference between the two. Because see, first, uh, the next event on God's calendar is the rapture of church when Jesus will come part way. Uh, he will not come all the way to this earth. He will come part way between heaven and earth and receive his bride, the church, to himself. The Bible speaks of this event in John chapter number 14, when Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And that's a reference to the rapture, where he comes partway down to receive his bride back. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 references the rapture of the church. Although the word rapture is not mentioned in the Bible, the concept absolutely is. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 also speaks of the rapture of the church, as well as Revelation chapter number 4 in verse number 1. Uh, I, I read this to my Sunday school class last week, and I thought it would fit... It's a great, it's a great uh, thought that I wanted to share with you this morning. On Sunday, December 7th, 1941, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, inflicting tremendous damage upon American forces stationed there. 
Well, on the very next day, Monday, December 8th, President Franklin Roosevelt delivered his Day of Infamy speech before Congress, which then declared war on Japan, Germany, and Italy. And on Tuesday, December 9th, the very next day after that, Roosevelt sent telegrams to the United States ambassadors serving in those uh, capital cities in each of those nations that we declared war on, Tokyo, Berlin, and Rome, ordering them to leave for home immediately. It is, of course, standard procedure for a king or president to call his ambassadors home before waging war. Now, someday, God is going to declare an all-out war on the evil occupying planet Earth, known as the Great Tribulation. But before he does, he is going to call his ambassadors home. And that's the rapture of the church. That's not the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the rapture of the church, which could happen at any moment. And at that point, then, after that, the world will go through a seven-year tribulation period that we looked at in great detail last Sunday. It will be in that time when this earth will experience horrible, catastrophic events unlike anything this world has ever seen. I know our country and really the world watched this week as Hurricane Ian went and destroyed quite a bit of Florida and surrounding states as well. And obviously, I do want to encourage you to be praying for those there and for the churches there as uh, they go through this time. But uh, I'm telling you, Hurricane Ian, now I know for the people there at the moment, it caused tremendous damage. And I don't want to minimize it, but when you compare the destruction that that caused to the Great Tribulation, it really is just a little storm in comparison. Okay, so after the seven-year tribulation period, the next event is the one Jesus talked about here in verse number 26, when they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, the second coming of Jesus Christ. I want to I show you, uh, we read uh, some, some detail on the great tribulation. Can I give you some good news what comes after the great tribulation? Can you turn over to Revelation chapter 19 real quickly? And uh, kind of hold your place here in Mark 13. We'll be right back here in a moment. But I feel like we went through some pretty negative things last time. I want to get to some positive things. Revelation 19, and I want, I want you to see how uh, John records what's going to happen in this event called the second coming of Jesus Christ, the, the, the powerful return of the Savior. Verse number 11. This is after the tribulation period is over, and here's what happens. Uh, Revelation 19, 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. By the way, that, that's probably me. That's probably you. Um, I, I believe that um, we're going to be part of that army, that we're going to come back on these horses. And I'm looking forward to that. And literally, there is going to be an, an invasion from outer space. And it's not going to be aliens, my friend. It's going to be the Savior, and it's going to be His followers. 
The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh man, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. And we can flip back to Mark chapter number 13. I referenced the fact that we already know that Jesus came and, and uh, we're getting ready. The holiday seasons are just around the corner. I even went to Costco yesterday and they, are, they got the memo that the holiday season is here. So uh, Hobby Lobby kind of started the, the trend way back in like June. And then uh, now other stores are starting to get on board. And, and uh, here's the deal. We know that Jesus came as the lowly Lamb of God born in Bethlehem's humble manger in His first coming. But you see, when He comes back the second time, He's going to come in great glory and great power as the Lion of the tribe of Judah to rule and reign for 1,000 years upon the earth. In His first coming, He came to be the Savior of sinners. In the second coming, he will come to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords to judge the world. In his first coming, Jesus came to suffer and to die to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. In the second coming, he will come to rule and reign and to judge the world. In his first coming, he came to earth as a newborn baby and lived and died as a human being in the flesh, but also being fully God as well. In the second coming, he will come in the glorified supernatural form that we just read about in Revelation 19. When he first came, you think about this, the government was still in the hands of sinful men. But when he comes back the second time, my friend, oh, it will be quite different because the government will be in his hands, or as Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, it will be upon his shoulder. Remember, the, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. See, when he comes back the second time, things are going to be quite different. When he first came, he was veiled in the form of a child. But the next time he comes, he will come unveiled in his resurrected, glorified body. And everyone will know him for who he really is. If you think about this, at his first advent, his first coming, a star marked his arrival. But in his second advent, his second coming, the Bible says here in verse number 25, what are the stars going to do? The stars of heaven are going to fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. Friend, it is indeed going to be absolutely awesome when he comes back. And I'm not using that word flippantly in this case. I'm using it in an actual meaning. It is going to be awesome. And everybody's going to notice it. And it's going to stop everybody in their tracks. And they're going to all gaze upon the one who died for us. Paul spoke of this coming day in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. In verse 13, he says, To the end he may establish your hearts, unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. I'm thankful that I get to be part of that uh, entourage there following our great Savior. I hope to see you part of it. I'd like to ride next. I hope our church family all gets to kind of ride together. You know, this is the Cornerstone Baptist Church uh, herd, you know. 
And we get to all be together like, hey, all right, we all get to go with together. I'd love that. He's coming back, and it's going to be powerful. When he first came, I mean, no one really knew about it. There was just a few people that were there that, that first night that he was born. And even in, this, even in the aftermath, there wasn't really very many people involved in the birth of Jesus Christ. But when he comes back, it is going to be a worldwide known fact that he is now here. I can't wait. He is coming back. But it's at least seven years from now. Because <laughs> if the Lord raptures us out today, then that starts the seven-year timetable time of the Great Tribulation. Then after that, He is going to come back in great power and glory. And He talked about it here. Verse number 27, the Bible says, he shall, uh, Then shall He send His angels and shall gather together His elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of the heaven. During the tribulation period, there will still be people who are saved, who are still alive on this earth. And when Jesus comes back, He's going to assemble His uh, elect, his, the, those who are saved, all together at that point. And so we see as Jesus continues to focus on the future, we see this thought here of the powerful return of the Savior. But then I want us to look secondly as we continue down through this passage, the parable of the season. The parable of the season in verse number 28 says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So ye, in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the doors. Now, you may remember that this is not the first time that Jesus referenced a fig tree. If you've been coming, you may think, hey, didn't we talk about the fig tree just a little while ago, just a couple chapters back? Yeah, you are right, we did. And if you don't remember, well, that's okay. Uh, but... Uh, it was just a couple days back in the timeline of events here in the Gospel of Mark. It was in chapter 11 when Jesus and the disciples, if you remember, came upon a fig tree when our Savior was hungry, showing His humanity in His hunger. And I know most of us can relate with Him, and maybe we're all relating with Him already right now, ready for this service to be over so we can go get some lunch. Well, they, they came upon this fig tree, and, and there were leaves there, but if you remember, there was no fruit on this tree. Well, Jesus ended up cursing the tree, and the very next day, it had completely withered up. It dried up. The fig tree there was an object lesson pointing to the nation of Israel, who had the appearance of health, but no real fruit. Okay, here in chapter 13, Jesus, all, again, uh, once again references this fig tree. And in verse number uh, 29, he says, So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is very nigh, even at the doors. What could this mean? Well, in 1948, the independent nation of Israel was formed. And if you go ahead and throw the, uh, uh, the newspaper um, of that day when that happened... And it was uh, May 14th, 1948, when the uh, state of, or the nation of Israel was formed. And, and at that point, it's starting to bring forth leaves. And it's coming together again. I mean, most of us know 
Uh, in verse number 28, when her branch is yet tender and putteth forth her leaves, ye know that summer is near. Uh, most of us are familiar with, uh, like for instance, in our backyard, we have, uh, we have a redbud tree and we have three Bradford pear trees. And uh, I know everybody doesn't like the smell of those. I don't really notice it. And I'm kind of glad for that because I hear it's disgusting. <laughs> it doesn't smell good. But for me, I don't really notice it. But they are beautiful when they're budding in spring. And, and you know that when you see those things, you know that, hey, spring is here and summer's just right around the corner. And so what he's saying here is when you see the fig tree which is a reference, again, back to the nation of Israel, start to bring forth the buds, and, and the leaves are starting to appear again. Then you know that summer's coming. You know in verse number 29, he says, So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the doors. See, the, this formation and growth of the nation of Israel tells us that the time is drawing close to when the Lord Jesus will come back with great glory and power. And, okay, well, that, again, that's still seven years down the road from the time that he comes back for the church. So how much closer is it for him to return for the church? Could happen any moment. Verse number 30. I looked at it earlier this week, and I was like, man, every commentary I checked, there was a different interpretation of it. Now, verse number 30 says, Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. When I was just going through and, and reading through this, I put verse 30 in a big question mark like, okay, I hope somebody really has some good insight here. Uh, but every commentary I checked, like I said, all had a different uh, idea of what this generation shall not pass means because it obviously cannot mean the generation that he was speaking to there because it's been almost 2,000 years since that generation lived, and, and all of them are, are, are dead and gone. And, and, and Jesus hasn't come back physically yet. So what, what could this mean? Um, now, okay, one probable meaning here, and uh, this is the one I'm going to go with. We know that God doesn't lie, and Jesus wasn't... He, he knew what he was talking about here. But uh, one probable uh, meaning here is that the people, this race, uh, the, this generation here was often used to describe a particular race of people. This nationality characterized by unbelief and rejection of the Messiah would not pass away until these things come to pass. So he was referencing really the Jewish uh, race of people rather than uh, this particular group of people that's alive right now, but, but the Jews, um, this nationality uh, would, uh, would, would, would last until these things come to pass. And, and the testimony of history has shown us that this generation has not passed away. I mean, this nation has survived and continues in their animosity to the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and, and they're continuing to uh, go on. And that's what he was referring to, and I believe that that's probably the accurate interpretation of that. Um, and I just wanted to stop there because I know some of you are, might, might look at verse 30 and say, what does that mean, uh, as I did? The parable of the season, basically the point is, hey, Israel has formed. It's starting to bring forth leaves. 
we better get our minds together and say, hey, it's coming soon. It's an urgent thing for us to be prepared and ready for his return. So time is coming. Uh, summer is coming. I realize we're right in the middle of fall now, and it feels good out there, doesn't it? Uh, but when it comes to this, summer is coming, and the season that we're looking for is near. And it is nigh, even at the doors, in verse 29, he says. So as we, uh, as we see here, we see first the uh, powerful return of the Savior, the parable of the season, and then number three here, the permanence of the Scriptures. In verse number 31, he says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Because you see, one day heaven and earth will indeed pass away. Um, Peter talks about the fact that this earth is going to burn up and, and uh, it, it's going to melt with fervent heat, the Bible says. And here in verse number 25, the stars of heaven shall fall, the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. I mean, there's going to be some serious cosmic disturbances. I mean, the solar system is going to be all tweaked through all of this. And, and the heaven and the earth are going to pass away, and he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. But you know what's going to remain? His word's going to remain. Uh, Psalm 119, verse number 89 the psalmist said, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Isaiah 40 and verse number 8, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. It's not a temporary thing. It's going to last forever. 1 Peter 1, 23, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Two verses later, Peter says, But the word of the Lord endureth forever. Here's the deal. Even though heaven and earth are going to pass away, God's word is going to remain and it's going to stand. So that means that no matter what goes on in my life, no matter what circumstances or how bad things get, God's word still matters and I can still trust it. Even though you may not be feeling the vibe because the circumstances may not be or may be less than ideal in your life and you're not feeling like God's still there. Look, God's word still stands. This will remain and abide forever. The permanence of the scriptures is something you can trust. Then I want us to look fourthly here as we continue on through this passage and get through the end of this chapter here, let's look at some priorities of the saints. Let's pick it up in verse 32. And this is the real sermon. Thinking, man, this sermon's going quick. This is really the sermon here. <laughs> verse 32. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father, Take ye heed and watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, 
or in the morning, lest suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. In this last section of this chapter, we find four priorities for the saints. What are they? First of all, we need to be watching. I think that as we went through that, you may have caught that that word was repeated a couple times. It technically was repeated four different times in that passage. Once in verse number 33, take ye heed, watch, and pray. Once in verse number 34, it says at the end, to every man his work and command the porter to watch. And the very next word here in verse 35, watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning. And then verse 37, the last word of this chapter, what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. There's an emphasis on watching. The story is told of a boy named Patrick who asked repeatedly for a wristwatch. Kept talking about it. And it was getting a little overboard. He was a little obsessed with this watch. And his parents said, you know, enough with the talk about the watch. Like, we get it. We know you want a watch. So they actually forbade him to talk about it anymore. And at dinner, his dad asked Patrick to pray. And he said, before I pray, I would like to quote a Bible verse. <laughs> and he picked Mark 13, 37. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. <laughs> now look, here's the deal, friend. Jesus is coming back, and we need to be ready, because we don't know when it will be. By the way, not even the Son of Man knows when it's going to be. And this does bring up a theological question. Jesus was God and knows all, all things. How could he not know when he will return? It's a good question. John 15 and verse 15 says it this way. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. The servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. And that, those, that came out of the mouth of Jesus. And remember Jesus, the, the, the series we're going through here in the Gospel of Mark, I've called the serving Savior. He is the servant, the perfect servant. See, as the perfect servant, it was not given to him from his Lord, his Father, the time of his coming. Jesus, of course, did speak of his second coming, but he did not have the exact date. And I think that there was tremendous wisdom in that. Because now his followers would live with a constant expectation and anticipation and desire for his return. Because let's just say that the date was 2222, which is 200 years from now. Let's say that that's the date that he's coming, sometime in that year. You really think we're going to be watching for it? You really think we're going to be living with anticipation of his return? No, it's 200 years away. I'm going to be off the scene by then, so I can kind of just live my life the way I want to live. I believe there was tremendous wisdom in him not giving Jesus the date so that he would 
not give it to the disciples, and then somehow we're able to figure it out. And I know that there's been uh, Bible scholars who have tried to figure out when Jesus has come. And, and of course, those days have come and gone, and Jesus hasn't come back. And that, look, because no man knows. No man knows. Neither the Son, but the Father. Now, one day, the Father is going to say to his Son, it's time. And I hope it's today. And then he comes back and takes his bride home. Wouldn't that be wonderful if it was today? But we are, in the meantime, he has given us instruction here four different times. The word watch is mentioned in this passage, which gives us a clue that we ought to be watching. We ought to be alert to what's going on around us. We ought to be aware, to be sober, to be vigilant. We ought to be understanding that what's going on around us, Oh, Brother Lowry was here on, uh, on Wednesday night and did a fantastic job. One of the things he said in his message, um, he said, uh, stop watching the news. And I think I may have been the loudest amen on that one. But look, I, I know that we, we do need to not be so engrossed with all that's going on around us, but we do need to at least be aware we better not have our heads in the sand about what is happening around us. We do need to be watching. We need to be observant. But, but, but it's, it's, it's less about what's going on around us and more about getting our eyes on heaven and saying, Lord, could this be the day? Remember what Paul told Titus in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13? Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to be looking and watching for His return and ready. It's, it's almost like, I mean, here's, here's the illustration in verse 34. Hey, the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. I'll share a story. I, you promised to keep it in the room here, not share it with anybody else. I'd appreciate it because I'm not real proud of this one. Back when I was in about ninth grade, I was a pyromaniac. Probably, I would have been diagnosed as that. I don't know if I saw a professional. I was really into fire. And uh, my, friend, my, my best friend and I, we got together before school most days, and on his grill, we would take weird things and burn them. I've shared that before. Well, there was, there was one time I was, I was home alone, and I was like, hey, I've got this like foam. It wasn't even like a Nerf ball, but it was a foam ball. It was real soft, and I was like, I wonder how well this will burn. So I'm in my garage. The garage door is closed. My mom's not home, um, so there's no car in the garage. And I'm like, I just want to see what this does. And so I get, I get down, and I put it on the ground, and I get my lighter, and I light the thing, and, and I'm watching it, and it's got this really cool blue flame. I'm like, whoa, that's neat. And then all of a sudden, I hear the garage door open. My mom is coming home, and she used the remote control to open the garage door. And I'm like, uh, i got to put this fire out in a hurry. And uh, so I, I, I think I ran inside, grabbed the kit to the kitchen. I knew I had like seconds before my mom started coming up the driveway to see what I was doing. So I was able to run inside to the, to the kitchen, grab something to put the flame out to get that and, and throw it in the garbage and get rid of it real quick. And I close the door and I'm in the, I'm in the house and my, and my mom's like, hey, 
you know why the uh, garage kind of smells like something was burning? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> now, here's, here's the thing. I wasn't watching. My mom left for a little while, and she was going to come back. And she wasn't going to text me and let me know that she was coming. I am so very thankful that for the remote control and the distance of that remote control that gave me enough time to put that fire out, to grab that ball out of there. And I think even to, she went to, she went to her grave not knowing that it was me and uh, uh, that, I, that I was burning a, a, a foam ball in our garage. The thing is, is I wasn't working, I wasn't watching. And uh, we ought not to be guilty of that when it comes to the Lord's work. He's coming back one day and we need to be constantly thinking, could this be the day? Could this be the day? And you know what? It very well might be. And so let's be watching. A big priority for us is to be watching. Secondly, we need to be praying. Verse number 33, take ye heed, watch and pray. While we're watching, while we're thinking this could be the day, let's be prayerful. What should we be praying for? Well, I think, I think praying for the, for the lost to come to salvation. For those in your life who you know are not saved, because I'm telling you, if they don't get saved and the Lord comes back and raptures you out of here, you're going to be good, but they're not going to be. They're going to have to go live through what we read about in the book of Revelation last Sunday in the Great Tribulation period. So pray for the lost to come to salvation. Pray for our church family to be right with God and right with one another. So when the Lord does come back, He'll find us healthy and ready for His return. We're to be praying that the Lord would send forth in the meantime laborers into His harvest field while there's still an opportunity to reap those who need to be reaped. We have much to pray for. We need to not be Busy, too busy about the things of this life to forget the things that he's instructed us to do here. He's coming back. We need to be ready. So we need to be watching. We need to be praying. Thirdly, we need to be awake. Verse 35, Jesus says, Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh. If he's going to come back at evening time or at midnight or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. We don't know when he's coming. Verse 36, though, he says, Lest suddenly he find you sleeping. Now, I would dare say that it, if the Lord came back at 3 o'clock in the morning today, most of us he would find sleeping physically, right? The, 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 it's not just talking about physical sleep here. He's really referencing spiritual sleep. And it goes a little bit back to watching and, and being alert and to what's going on around you, but, but, but be awake. I was uh, thinking about a verse this week, Galatians 6, 9. It's uh, hanging in my office. And it says this, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Sometimes when we get tired of doing right, we kind of want to go and just say, you know what, enough of this. Throwing in the towel, it's not worth it. 
I'm going to sleep. Because at the end of the day, we get tired and want to stop working, and so we lay down and get in our jam jams. That's what I call them. And we get comfortable, and we lay in our bed, in our comfy bed. And we go to sleep. Spiritually, we can feel like doing that too, where it's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm just too tired of doing this. I need to throw in the towel. I need to just go to sleep spiritually. I encourage you, let's not do that. (laughs) Uh, Because you don't want him finding you sitting on the sideline when you should be involved in the work of God. Keep pressing forward. Our theme for this year is continue. Stay faithful. Don't go to sleep. Stay awake spiritually. Because 1 John 2.28 says, Little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So be watching, be praying, be awake, and one more today, be working. Be working. In verse number 34, son of man is, as a man taking a far journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, and listen to this phrase here in verse 34, and to every man his work. Every man his work. Every man. Look, friend, we have all been given a job to do. Every single one of us has a mission to accomplish. Every single one of us has a purpose to fulfill. And in case you're wondering, it's not sitting on the sideline watching others work. Someone has joked that the church is sadly much like a football game. 22 people on the field, desperately in need of rest, and hundreds of thousands of people in the stands, desperately in need of exercise. (laughs) Now, I don't feel like that's the case in our church. I feel like when we have a big event, it's all hands on deck, and a good majority of our church family comes together. Uh, Somebody has made a wise observation that smaller churches, that is the case. It's like all hands on deck, we all have to be here. But the larger churches... It's like, you know what, I'll just come and let everybody else serve because there's so many people here. It's one of those everybody's business, it's nobody's business, and nothing, just a few people are doing it. I want to just challenge our church family as our church family uh, grows in the future to just all of us still remember that we need to be faithful to work. And no matter what size our church is, Christianity is not a spectator sport. We all need to be in it. Every member, a minister. Every saint, a servant. We need to be working. Every man, his work. There's a song that uh, I quote once in a while, and I think it fits here. And it's called, My House is Full. The lyrics go, there is peace and contentment in my father's house today. Lots of food on his table and no one turned away. There is singing and laughter as the hours pass by. But a hush calms the singing as the father sadly cries. My house is full. But my field is empty. Who will go and work for me today? It seems my children all want to stay around my table, but no one wants to work in my fields. No one wants to work in my fields. So push away from the table. 
And look out through the window pane. Just beyond the house of plenty lies a field of golden grain. And it's ripe, white unto harvest. Oh, but the reapers, where are they? Well, they're in the house. Oh, can't the children hear the father sadly say, My house is full, but my field is empty. Who will go and work for me today? Seems my children all want to stay around my table, but no one wants to work in my fields. No one wants to work in my fields. Will you go and work in my field? I'm thankful for the fellowship meal we had last Sunday after the, after the morning service and the, the good soup that was there and the wonderful fellowship. And I do want to, I said it in the bulletin article, and I'd like to say it again publicly. Thank you for remembering us for our fourth anniversary here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. And thank you for the very generous love offering. We are very appreciative. We love you all. But we have these times of fellowship, and we don't really have a hard time getting a good crowd for those. But when we have all church outreach, my house is full, but my field is empty. God's given us marching orders as a church, as believers, to, to go and preach the gospel to every creature, to go into every nation, teaching them and, and, and baptizing them and, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever He's commanded us. He's given us marching orders, a work to do. Are we doing that work? Now, there are some folks in here who are a little more seasoned than others and maybe retired from their job. And I encourage you to never retire from working for the Lord. You may not work for the man, but you work for the Lord all the days of our life. We'll work till Jesus comes. Or are we working until we're tired? We'll work till someone else can take my place. No, no, we're going to work till Jesus comes. Let's be working. Let's be working. There's one more priority, um, but this isn't for the saints. This is for those who are not yet a saint. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to get saved. Make sure you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, because without a relationship with Him, you will face uh, either the great tribulation period, if He comes back and you're still alive, you will face the great tribulation period. Or, if He, comes, he doesn't come back in your lifetime, you will spend an eternity in a place called hell. It's not something I like to say, but it's something the Bible says, and I need to be faithful to say what God says. And that's the truth. And so, my friend, if you're here and you're lost and you're not saved, you're not a Christian, can I encourage you to make the greatest decision of your life and come to Jesus Christ? I was reminded of a game that uh, many of us played as children, hide-and-go-seek. When you play that game, the person who's it kind of goes into a corner or by a tree or something, closes their eyes and goes, counts to 10, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And then after that, they open their eyes and they say something. 
They say, ready or not, here I come. One day, the Lord is going to say that to all of us. Ready or not, here I come. Can I encourage you to be ready? To be ready. How do we be ready? We, are, we need to be watching. We need to be praying. We need to be awake. We need to be working. Are you going to be ready when he comes? Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your word that gives us insight as to what the future holds. Lord, we do as believers look forward to the day when you will come back to this earth physically after the tribulation period to rule and reign and set up your kingdom. Lord, until then, help us to be mindful of these priorities and to put them, implement them into our lives. Help us to be watching. Yes, watching what's going on around us to a point, but most of all, looking up and ready for that day when you do come, wondering if it could be today. Help us to live in such a way that we will have confidence and not be ashamed at your coming. Help us to be prayerful. Help us, Lord, to be actively working in the harvest field, trying to get the gospel out. Help us, Lord, not to say, well, I did my part when I was younger. But Lord, help us all to find something that we can do, some ministry that we can be involved in, some type of work that we can be engaged in. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful and to stay awake and not to go to sleep. 